Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hello, Dr. Rapici. Hey, Dr. Falk. Barry, how are you? I'm doing fine. Um, we're back again. Indeed. Critical Media Studies. Uh, by popular demand, i.e., Michael just insisted and insisted and, and and cried and wept and what could I do? Uh, I had a change so, of heart that bordered on a conversion. <laughs> yeah, we're we're and, uh, we're back so with Adorno. We're back with Adorno and still thinking about Adorno and think and still thinking about Adorno thinking about modern music technologies and the technology specifically of the long playing record. Uh, and we are going to talk about an essay, Opera Buffs That We Are. Um, and I think, I don't know about you, Michael, but when I think of opera and opera appreciation, the first thing I think of is the Critical Media Studies podcast. Without question. With uh, Barry Falk and Dr. Rapici. Yes. Yeah. So in keeping with our, you know, with our brand, I would say um, that we we would like to spend a little bit more time on Adorno, in particular, an essay, a fascinating, again, another short essay that Theodora Adorno wrote on the long playing record and opera entitled Opera and the Long Playing Record in Translation and Thomas Levin's uh, wonderful translation of the essay. And one of the reasons we're giving it, a, I guess, a special episode all on its own is that in interesting ways, I guess this is proof that Adorno is a thinker. I think this is true of any um, thinker of depth. They contain contradictions. They contain multitudes. They contain uh, uh, nuances, light and shade, dark and, darkness and light, um, and contours in their arguments. So uh, one of the things that's really interesting about the opera and the long playing record, as we'll discuss right now, essay, as we'll discuss right now, is that in many ways, we, uh, Adorno, I won't say it's a complete about face, but we return to similar arguments, uh, familiar arguments that he made in the previous essay that we discussed in the prior episode, the form of the phonograph record. He returns to the long playing record and makes some, if not counter arguments about the positive aspects of the long playing record. At least he interestingly nuances his discussion of sound recordings. Uh, and there's a kind of another dimension to discuss and hence this episode. Yeah. You know, as I read the two of them together, I think it was, it was interesting because last time, with the form of the phonograph it felt like when he got to the end he was really starting to work through or starting to work with some of the ideas that pick up here so what i was going to just add briefly is, is yes that please I, I think one of the things that i enjoy if you will about this is that to, it, it's not so much it's it's like Adorno's exercising his right to pivot, right? He he's yeah. Well, that's a great way to put it. He he's looking at this and he said this 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 essay to me sort of reads like an exploratory aha moment. You know, hey, um, I'm not really on board with technology in these ways. I don't think this is a helpful or productive thing. 
And at the end of the form of the phonograph, he's like, well, you know, we get archives out of it. And there's something to be said for archiving in a way that puts the art first, you know, the, the, the music before the writing. And, and, the, and let's say, let me, let me just add one thing to yeah. the last point you're, you're alluding to the last point in the form uh, the last argument, uh, the pivot in the form of the phonograph record essay. I mean, it's even a magical moment where he starts comparing it uh, to, you know, we've, the archive is in a sense, we're, we're finally archiving the, we finally cracked the code of the book of nature that we're able to, you know, uh, that we, we, the technology has accomplished a, a revolution in the sense that it has liberated music from writing mm -hmm. by turning music itself into a kind of writing. Right. Um, so there are all these surprising, almost magical reversals that he ends with meditating on in the last essay. Yeah. And so this, this essay to me sort of feels like part two of that after a walk, right? Like let's let these ideas marinate for a bit and okay. So we've got archival music. In fact, um, you know, I think that it, it it's interesting. If 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 you're okay with it, I'd actually kind of like to jump in with the opening lines of the essay. Please do. Let's just do it. just That's as where a means, I was going anyway. As a sure. means of getting this started. So the essay starts out. He says, I mean, the very first line: "In the history of music, it is not all that rare for technological inventions to gain significance only long after their inception." And as we talked earlier, this was, uh, you know, this harkens back to to Raymond Williams when he's talking about. Um, you know, inventions as solutions to particular problems that then have a trickle-down effect elsewhere. He says, this was the fate of the valve horn with the chromatic scale, which did not become fully utilized until Wagner. The saxophone, a connecting link between woodwind and brass instruments, was already hesitantly used by Bizet, but only entered in the domain of serious music by means of a detour through jazz. A similar development now seems to be taking place with the phonographic record. So it, it's as if, I mean, he, not as if, he is saying, hey, so the record has been around for a while, but now I, we we see that it has a different value than the original value that was placed on it, which was basically uh, consumer capitalist profit, right? Like we can, right, right, right. we can sell records to people. And I think that what this really speaks to, as I'm reading this again, is just a reconsideration of the value of what that means, which I think is one of the hallmarks of any good thinker. Well, well, well said. Uh, I'm going to throw in a, a quick doc. What what would critical media studies be um, if I didn't throw in a meaningless digression? So let me at least get one in here before before the episode gets cold. Um, You know, when you were talking about technology, I kind of flash back to techne, uh, to you know the idea of techne of craft from from Heidegger, the notion of um, that that the uh, that poetry and technology are aligned in the sense that both are techne te techniques for making something, for composing something. And when you were talking about um, technology, I mean, one of the things that he's discussing in the essay, and we'll get to it in a specific form and talk about how it relates to opera in a second, but this quick digression. Um, a general tendency in the essay is to argue that aesthetic 
aesthetic requirements or aesthetic values can be, strangely enough, settled uh, simply by recourse to technology or technique, technique. And I, I sort of flashed on something when you were reading the opening paragraph, Michael. I was thinking about, you know, techne in the sense of songwriting, not in so much recording songs or song recording production or producing records, rather, but thinking about writing songs. And, you know, I've, off, I've always thought it's a magical, uh, a magically strange thing that most, if you read interviews with songwriters, something as simple as deciding or, you know, figuring out I'm I'm playing around, I'm playing chords in a different key. Mm -hmm. Or I usually write songs of guitar. I'm now figuring out the same chords on piano. Mm -hmm. But let's just keep it with guitar for a moment. Just the idea that you can create an entire kind of song so style or entirely new song structure simply by changing the, you know, the, the capo on your, guitar neck or finding a different tuning that that opens sort of aesthetic and artistic possibilities it's a very mundane technological change or a change in technique that had that really in it but you can't extricate the aesthetic uh product from that that invention that the the use of that mundane technique and that's kind of the dialectic in in this um essay which mm -hmm. i think is really interesting well, so that artistic values and technological values, they're a mesh. They're not separate. Barry, I hate to break this to you, but this is uh -oh. very far from a detour. Because if you look at the very next paragraph, he uh -oh. says, in music, technique has a double meaning. On the one uh -oh. hand, there are the actual compositional techniques. And on the other, there are the industrial yes. processes that are applied to music for the purpose of its mass dissemination. The oh, latter no. do not, however, remain completely external to the music. To We're the talking music. about the convergence here. Behind both the technological, industrial, and the artistic discoveries, there is the same historical processes, process at work, the same human force of production. That is why they both converge. My goodness. You and Tough so... Teddy got your head in the same place here. <laughs> One would almost think you've read My the goodness. essay, Barry. <laughs> I was about to, I was about to say the opposite. I said, next time I will read the essay. <laughs> um, but but that actually, but that is exactly what I was talking about. That is why they both converge because they're both forces of production. Right, right. They're both modes of production, quite literally. And and, and again, so, yeah. not not to make our previous episode required listening, but this is one of the things that I think spurs the change in Adorno. When he starts looking at this, part of his problem, I feel, is that he looks at the phonograph, the form of the phonograph record, right? The artifact, the actual piece of vinyl as sort of a cheap facsimile of the music, right? It is not the right. art. It is a container for the art. I think we called it last time. And now he's starting to pivot and say, wow, you know, the the artistic um, composition and the industrial composition come together in this space. So he seems to be relenting a little bit as if to say, right. well, okay, again, understanding that this forces art into a primary position. It relegates the writing to a secondary position. 
uh, you know, it's it's maybe, I don't know, not all that bad. Yeah, right. Uh, actually, the, the the paragraph that you pointed out, especially that last sentence in the paragraph, it's really kind of like the key pivot in the essay. I'm, I'm now realizing this is why they both the technical technological industrial and the artistic this is why they both can converge they are both processes uh the same processes the same historical processes are at work the same i'm reading here quoting here the same human force production is at stake well let's keep on let's keep on the groove thing then shall we and let's move to the first sort of point uh a good that, pun, by the way the groove thing yeah i guess it is Thing in the groove of the record. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, and I think this this is a, a sort of a major, there's a bit of a historical co coincidence or a, a particular, let me rephrase that. One of, so as Michael and I have been trying to say, there Adorno pivots in this essay and he seems willing to imagine positive aesthetic and technical developments coming out of this new mode of technological production. Uh, now, that said, there's another sort of main argument in the essay that, that we want to address or that we should address. A lot of, uh, even though Adorno is speaking on behalf of technology at many points in this essay, there's also a way in which his pro-technological arguments come from, from, are coming out of a pretty stringent criticism of the mode of opera production. And in particular, his criticism of how opera is staged, which he argues is a kind of, uh, constitutes a crisis in the form. Uh, Shall we talk a little bit about why the opera itself is in a, uh, the opera, the staging of opera, the performance of opera uh, is in a bit of a crisis? I'm going to read something, Michael, and then we, maybe we can talk about it. Absolutely. All right. So um, just a little bit after the paragraph that you read, and we're still kind of nestling in the, uh, um, still lingering on the opening pages of the essay. Adorno writes, the gramophone record comes into its own, however, by virtue of the fate, I think I would say the negative fate or the negative predicament of a major musical genre, the opera. So there's there's a kind of historical circumstance or almost, a, I won't call it an accident, but a conjuncture that is making, that is partly fueling Adorno's positive polemic on behalf of the long playing, uh, long playing record. There's also his keen awareness that opera, staged opera, opera, the performance of opera has become by his lights a bit retrograde. I'll continue reading. It has been more than 30 years since any operas have been written for opera houses that if one is allowed to insist on such high standards uh, and come on, Ted, well, it would be an Adorno essay if we weren't allowed to insists on high standards, we must insist on high standards. And he's being too modest. Anyway, start that sentence again. It has been more than 30 years since any operas have been written for operas, opera houses that, if one is allowed to insist on such high standards, manifest, manifested something 
of the world spirit, Weltgeist. The supply of traditional operas on the stage is reserved for them, has, however, become falderall. Them's fighting words whenever you have falderall, even in translation, you know something bad is happening. The supply of traditional operas on the stage is reserved for them, has, however, become falderall for opera fans or cult <clears throat> objects for culture worshipers. Thus, the tireless efforts to modernize operas and opera houses with new sets in new stagings, this is really key, at the expense of the operas of their substance. This, um, in its heroic periods, modern music distanced itself from the production of opera. The current avant-garde is taking this up. Let me see if I have to read more about this. Let me instead, rather than read more of this long passage, let me just read again. I think, I think sentence. Yeah, I'll just yeah, no, I think this you got it with the, the tireless efforts to That's modernize it. opera yes. and the opera houses with new sets and new staging at the expense of That's their the substance. Yeah, that's what I was going to reread. That's the problem. So let's talk about why. Yeah. So as I read this, right, he's basically saying the problem with opera is it's it's lost its way, right? Like nothing new is being written that is worth being performed. Um, you know, we, we sound a little cranky and back in my day here. Um, but the, the argument I think is, is pretty clear, right? It's hit a dry spell. The there's, there's nothing new being done that's worth attending to. And his concern is now that the art or the institution of opera is suffering for it. Right. And it's a little bit like, tell me if you, if you buy the analogy, it's a little bit like, and I guess CGI has become so triumphant. Maybe this, this, this whole line of discourse or this particular argument, I'm showing my age when I mentioned this, but you know, there was a time uh, and CGA and debates over CGI were kind of part of this, but there was a longer argument like, you know, movies, it, nobody's making good movies anymore. And to make up for the fact that nobody knows how to tell a story anymore in film, you just have amazing special effects. It's something like that, I think, is going on here, is that like you have a new set. So in other words, there's a dearth of inspiration. There's a dearth of real creativity in the genre. And people are covering it up. So it's a little bit worse. Like every, rather than just sort of say, the art form's in crisis, what you have is that promoters are, promoters and, and direct, and, Producers are basically putting, uh, you know, staging dramatic productions uh, with more and more attention to detail. They become more of a visual spectacle to the to the expense of the music. And so the music becomes secondary to the visual spectacle. I think that's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of until you had said something. I think that part of the problem is that for Adorno, if you look at the line, right? modernized with new sets and new stagings at the expense of substance. This, there's a tension here between the visual aesthetic and the auditory aesthetic. And his problem is Beautiful that place. the, that opera is now becoming a more visual medium. And if you look at it and I'm, so I'm not going to say this is right or wrong here, but it, it really clarifies things quite a bit because vinyl is absolutely not a visual medium, right? I don't think we're sitting right. here flipping through the liner right. notes and looking at the poster, but 
it is a right. wonderful art, art, um, oh my God, what's the, be careful, words. be careful, <laughs> careful. <laughs> words are hard. Um, it, it, it is a wonderful auditory medium, right? And so it preserves what he cares most about and it absolutely erases right. his problem. So right. the other the other right. thing, and again, I hadn't thought about this, but what what the record would do is it would completely do away with the visual component, which he just has no time for. And he says, so it's well, you know, there is a and let's say that I mean, can we say this? Uh, <laughs> I, I know almost anything. I, I, listen, I've, I've <laughs> said almost anything. Um, you know, I. Uh, what was I going to say? No, I remember. The um, I had noticed a kind of puritanical aspect to this. Like, you know, in this essay, you really get a little bit of Adorno the Puritan or the, the, the you know, another way of thinking about it, maybe that actually would be the antithesis of the Puritan tag may, and maybe more fair to Adorno is that he is such an uncompromising idealist or esthete that he cannot stand the idea, as you put it, of sacrificing the auditory pleasure to the visual pleasure. And so there is a real critique of visual pleasure for its own sake uh, in the stage. And, and you know, in a sense, it, I, I think it, you could say it's on the verge of being puritanical or kind of obsessively idealistic. On the other hand, in the sentence that that we read, it's very clear that the newness, the novelty of these effects, the novelty of the production techniques, the novelty of the sets, and I assume partly what he means is more opulent, like more money is being thrown into stage design, into set design. More money is being invested in costuming. So, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so to be fair, what he seems to be talking about is a kind of hypertrophy of the visual that is very determinately there, put there to, to sacrifice, to, to distract the audience from really to distract the audience from what their, their primary, the primary purpose of being in a music house to hear a, a musical performance. Right. And the, 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 ca the, the counter argument to this would be that this is uh, so much filigree that enhances the whole performance. Yes. And, uh, but he, he's not, he's not here for that. He's, he's not having it. No, he's not having it. Do you think that's unfair? But yeah, I guess that's what I was saying about the puritanical thing. You think it? Do you think it is puritanical, Michael? Do you think he's going overboard? Well, I I don't know that that question. So I'm going to sound like an ass, and I apologize. I don't know that that question matters. You know, mm -hmm. because I think that for him, you know, if you sit back and you close your eyes and you get truly lost in the art, that's that's bliss. Right. And so is it wrong for him to say, look, you should that this should be primary for you. I think that for him, it's a valid argument. Is he puritanical? Maybe, but he's not wrong. You know, so <laughs> I, I agree. I don't like my question. 
That's a very unsatisfactory answer. I don't like my question. I don't like my question. I retract my question. Let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) No, I didn't want to cut off. I didn't want to cut off. You had another another thought thread. I just was retracting. Well, I'm just I'm thinking this is this Mm -hmm. is neither here nor there. But I'm thinking, you know, would his response to a video recording? See, I think that would bug the hell out of him. Like we don't want the visual. Doesn't matter how good the sound is. Well, okay, Michael, you more finely tuned my question. So let's linger with my question now that you finally tuned it. And and I, I'm I'm gonna hopefully ask my question better this time, so that we can both sort of think about it and contemplate it and see if it's a real question. Is there's obviously a critique of the visual going on, and I guess the question that I'm wrestling with is how far. He takes it. Would he prefer? Now, he had his own criticisms of radio. And in fact, he critiques radio broadcasts Mm -hmm. of opera in Mm -hmm. this essay. So, uh, but is there a little bit of a tension in that or a contradiction in that? Because is there a full bore criticism of the visual as visual? Is he going as far as saying that the visual element positively gets in the way of an immersive listening experience? I don't know if he does. I, I think he might be. Or, I maybe, think... or maybe he does. What do well, you think? So, that, that's my question. That's my question. I think that his critique against the radio broadcast of opera is that that allows for the external to creep in with that situation you still have an announcer who would at some point announce what's happening. There may or may not be commercial interruption, which you know would probably give him an aneurysm, right? And the audio... Well, yeah. And the audio audio would be subpar. I think that if we, you know, fast forward 70 years and we have somehow a video recording, I think the problem there would be that we have, again, too much technology. And what video would do that I think would be problematic for him is it would, in a way, likely work in the opposite direction. The beauty of the record, the form of the record, right, is that it, again, it it forced writing into a secondary role and elevated the actual art. Any sort of visual component is going to create a tension with the music itself. And so what you have here, it's like this weird thumb wrestling of the arts, right? Like is the visual art going to somehow detract from the musical art? Is the staging, the the organization, the aesthetic? I mean, the, there, there's a number of different things in play and I just don't think that he wants to if you'll pardon the saying, share the stage, right? Like it's one thing. This, I mean, I, 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 in a way, if you think of it in terms of what gets to be front and center, mm-hmm. then you know, with that, 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 that hides technology and forces the art into the center. Like technology, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is fine as long as it is a um, supporting structure, a background, and lets the art do its thing. I mean. That, that that's how I would that that would be my best guess at an answer for this. I think I think in preparation to our okay, well we're gonna shift to an, another um, we're gonna shift to the I guess the final 
set of arguments in this short essay. But uh, you brought up something here that he, that we're going to turn to more specifically in a moment. But let me address it now. What you were saying about technology foregrounding the art, yet at the same time staying in the background. I think that's important. In the concluding, I, I think it's important too. And I was going to ask you whether or not you think, so in the closing section of the essay, which we're going to talk about now, he brings up, he makes a, um, a positive comparison. And I'm, I'm also struck by this, given that so much of cultural studies, contemporary cultural studies, is critical of the situation of the museum and the museum goer. But in a way, doesn't he seem to be praising the long playing record? Because in a way, it is like seeing a painting in a museum. Of course, you're aware that you're seeing the painting in a museum. But then there's something, the hope or the gamble or the structure of the museum itself is there so that it allows the individual viewer to get lost in the painting in the museum and kind of forget the space itself. And I wonder if that's not his analogy for what happens with phonograph records. The phonograph records are this technological, in a sense, they're a virtual space as much as they are a technology. That's, I think, they're exactly virtual it. space. And in that virtual space, the the spectator, listener, viewer can get lost in communion with the object. Well, I think that's it, right? Like if you are at an opera performance and you close your eyes and you are at home and you close your eyes. Close your eyes. Right. Then you force the art to a primary position. The distinction in theory is nil assuming that the recording is of high enough quality to to pass as 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 a live performance and you know he 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 says it is and so i think that's i think that's right i think that the idea that what this recording does is create a virtual space i think that's very well said and that's that's his thing and i think that's one of the problems with with art is is that you know reality intrudes and that's one of those <laughs> that's one of those that's fine right, lines. Right. And and, and right, here right. he's he's stumbled onto something where it doesn't necessarily have to until we get to the cuts in the record. And the right. you know, so there are physical limitations to it. But but this this is why the long play is so satisfying to him, where uh the short play records are not, because it forestalls that break, it keeps reality at bay for that much longer. And preserves the you know the 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 god how do i want to say this like the myth or the dream of of of, sure. of art um i i think there's no reason not to go to the exciting and interesting concluding passages and arguments uh in this essay directly from what you said although quick uh quick pit stop because you used the word again in your last comment that i i was latching on to uh, you know, really what we're talking about, you know, Shades of Freud, we're really talking about art or Shades of Schopenhauer. Um, we're really talking about an idea of art as if the art object really is immaterial. It's an, a, a theory of art that says that the art, 
art really is a waking dream. Mm -hmm. And so that other, so at its best, art is a continual dream state. And if you believe that, then it makes sense that you don't want anything material to disrupt these, you know, disrupt your sleep time, to disrupt your dream time. Because the dream time is the aesthetic event, right? So I think I, I I mean I was thinking that there there might be deep roots in uh, Adorno's deep roots in Schopenhauer and then Freud and psych, psychoanalysis. Well, I think and, it goes know, beyond that though. I think the, that this idea, you know, if we go all the way back to Stiegler, right, with this idea of stepping outside of mm -hmm. your reality for a mm -hmm. moment to just dream. And so I'm not mm -hmm. saying necessarily that Stiegler or Heidegger were, you know, we're talking about art with these moments of stepping out. But um, I, I think that there is an interpretation that allows that to mm -hmm. be a working definition of art as Adorno's talking about it, certainly. Um, and I think that it's a compelling view of art that you could certainly layer I mean, like, I, I don't see why this has to be exclusive. You know, I, I think that you can apply this to a number of things if if it, if it moves you. Hopefully, mm -hmm. it moves you somewhere good. <laughs> well, I just I, I feel like I just went from I, being on the brink, I went from the brink of saying something smart to just absolutely sinking the ship. But, anyways, <laughs> let, sorry, let's, I'm let's sorry, everybody. No, no, it's fine. I let's made, get I, back to Adorno. Yeah. This is the exciting parts of the. Uh, uh, this is the exciting conclusion of the essay. I, Buckle up. Um, I, I love these passages. So this is where he does his full throw. I guess where these two different arguments really come together in a very satisfying way. The argument on behalf of the long playing record and also the argument about the limitations um, or the particular historical crisis in which opera finds itself. And they, they kind of, um, these two strands of argument kind of come together very nicely in the conclusion. So I'm going to read some things and you're going to comment on them with you, glee and gusto and your usual expertise. And beans. And beans, plenty of beans. So near the end, near the conclusion of Opera and the Long Playing Record by Theodore Adorno, he writes, but there remains hardly any other means than possession other than reification through which one could get at anything unmediated in this world. And this is true of art as well. One of the essential properties of operas, particularly such as those from the later period by Wagner and Strauss, is long temporal duration. And there, this, I love this phrase, these recordings, these operas rather, they are sea voyages, he writes. LPs, provide the opportunity more perfectly than the supposedly live performances. It's interesting. You, you know, you, he wants to put live performance in quotes almost, right? Supposedly live performances. Uh, more perfectly, LPs provide the opportunity more perfectly than the supposedly live performances to recreate without disturbance the temporal dimension essential to operas. So, let me make one comment. I want to hear your comments on this. I'll, I'll, I'll begin just by saying um, here, this is to me a pivot from some of the arguments that Adorno was making in the form of the phonograph record essay. 
Whereas he, where at some points in that essay, Adorno was criticizing um, phonograph records for being, a, he was thinking a limitation of phonograph records is that reader, is that listeners can do what they want with the recordings. They can interrupt the recording. They can, you know, do, they can stop it and they, they don't have to, they can uh, put the music on while they're doing the dishes and Adorno is going to handle that or doesn't like that. He seems to pivot here and say that, and, and say something quite different that, well, we have new technology now that allows us to record with greater fidelity, even these later period operas by Richard Strauss that are of long temporal duration. They are sea voyages. And the kind of attention, concentrated attention that you need to give them, uh, you're better off accessing that or, or using the record player as your mediator. Remember that first sentence I read. Uh, you have to get through something. You have to get through media. You have to approach everything in this world through mediation. And he says, basically, I prefer the mediation of the long playing record to the supposedly live performance, because there is the possibility for a listener to give concentrated attention to long stretches of music. And now the technology, rather than making a mockery of this, is in fact enabling this kind of concentrated higher attention. Do you have a comment or do you want me to continue with the next passage? That no, I think sort the of next talks passage. About the yeah, no. So, well, actually, no, I do want to jump in here. I'm trying to to make sense of this a little bit. And it's it's not that what uh -huh. he's saying is problematic. I think that's that's clear enough. My question here, if he goes down, if he goes down a little bit for, further. Uh -huh. And so I have a question for you about this. Uh, he says, looking back, it seems as if the short playing records of yesteryear, acoustic daguerreotypes that are now already that are already now hard to play in a way that produces a satisfying sound due to the lack of proper apparatuses, unconsciously uh -huh. also correspond to their epoch, the desire for highbrow diversion, the salon pieces, favorite areas, and the Neapolitan sim can't read, sorry, semi hits, um, whose image Proust attached in an unforgettable manner to Osolomio. Is the problem here also classist uh he doesn't like the middle brow yes he is saying that this the initial so, so let me let me rephrase the question let me rephrase the question for a second i'm wondering if the problem is not so much the problem his concerns are tied up in form like one of the things that got me at the beginning of this was why opera right? Like, what is it about opera specifically? It is a highbrow art, right? Compared to what he, I, I don't know if it was in, uh, just, just pop music in general, right? This is, there's, there's a distinction between <laughs> right. the two. Um, right. There's also an aspect of continuity with opera that requires the long form, right? You're telling exactly. a much longer story and the entirety of the story is going exactly. to be necessary to make sense of it. Exactly, and so exactly you may know, I, I interrupt you just to just to make a clarification because yeah absolutely don't, I, uh, yeah i just just to do just to be very clear on this for listeners um adorno sometimes uses in fact maybe 
he uses this term a lot, highbrow and lowbrow. And certainly he talked, well, the, the term he often uses is serious music. I think there's mm -hmm. a, I, I would hesitate before trans, I would hesitate translating serious music into highbrow music for this particular reason. What he usually means by serious music and the difference that he ascribes, the difference that he wants the police, for better or for worse, between serious music and popular music is less about one is highbrow and the other one is lowbrow. It's less that. It's that Adorno, and let's remember, he's studying with Alban Berg. He, he's a music theorist. He, he knows music composition. He's a serious music scholar, musicologist. Um, and so he has this idea of, so what does seriousness mean? It doesn't necessarily mean I am highbrow. Uh, I am more intellectual. It's primarily the idea that composed music as opposed to popular music is it's a serious thing mm -hmm. because it, precisely what you said, because it's long form, because it tells a sustained story. Why is Beethoven a great composer and kind of linchpin for Adorno? Not because his associations with high culture or highbrow, because Beethoven was very conscious about following a series of musical ideas to their logical conclusion in a long form composition. So right. that's his definition of seriousness. I just wanted to make that clear. No, you're fine. In fact, the, the last line of the paragraph here says this sphere of music talking about uh, the semi hits. This sphere of music is yes. finished. There is now only music of the highest standard and obvious kitsch with nothing in between. The LP expresses yeah, yeah, this yeah, historical yeah, change yeah. rather precisely. So that's that yeah. that was what I was asking. Is 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 the the idea here that opera is sort of a, a proxy for art, right? Like we have correct, art, correct. And right. everything else is what he's right. called kitsch. And so the long play is is basically like we've because of the because of the duration right the extended through line the attention that must be paid played the, the temporal long... dimension is the word the word he uses earlier characterizing the temporal dimension essential to opera it's all that th we're all he's saying the same thing over and over okay so yeah, no, that that was just my question about this the sea voyage obviously again is another reference to this long expansive journey through art but that was so my question i guess was really the distinction between what he's called uh kitsch and art and that that is really just so so again this is a, this is a question of form it's a question of form and insofar as it's a question of form it requires a sustained it requires two things right sustained duration and attention which he talks about mm -hmm. and sustained attention and those two things are going together how did we get in Stiegler territory? But I think we did, strangely enough, I think, with this idea of sustained attention and concentration. Oh, um, I don't but I, 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 Look, man, I'm very much of a shoe fits kind of guy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's good. No, but no, I would, I would, that wasn't a criticism, far from it. I was thinking, I, I feel that talking about, and talking about, in, in seeing, uh, I mean, I think that, that it's a really, it's a very a clear confluence between Adorno and 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 uh, Stiegler. This idea that um, 
there's something kind of the aesthetic, the intellectual, the philosophic, they all converge in this idea of sustained attention, sustained concentration, as opposed to being distracted all the time, right? So should we now start talking about Simone Weil as well with attention and art? <laughs> we might, we might, we might, we might. But rather than do that, how about I just, let's just finish off here. And I just wanted to draw uh, one attention to one last thing in that closing paragraph. And I think you, we had talked about maybe bringing up the MP3 while we we're talking about the, uh, so we'll, we'll do that afterwards. But I just read this uh, final passage from the, the closing section of Opera and the Long Playing Record. This is the place where, since we had tagged it earlier, this is the passage where he starts talking about the, aesthetic affordances that the long playing record uh, allows listeners as opposed to spectators or listeners at the opera house and how he compares it to the experience of the museum visitor, the museum goer. So I thought I would read that. The form of the LP, and can we add some of the words we've been using before, uh, long form, mm -hmm. you know, the long form, form of the LP makes it possible that you, you really do. I really do want to add like long sustained form mm -hmm. right, of the LP. That's really what we're talking about. The form of the LP makes it possible for more than a few musically engaged people, such as Adorno, um, to build up such a museum for themselves. Nor So a kind of museum of the mind, an opera house of the mind. Nor need they fear that the recorded works will be neutralized in the process. Technology is an enabling means. That the recorded works will be neutralized in the process as they are in opera houses. Similar to the fate that Proust described to paintings and museums, these recordings, long form recordings, LPs, long playing records, awaken to a second life. And here he gets all tingly and fuzzy and, and, and you know, warm and fuzzy. Uh, let me let me go back, read that again. These recordings awaken to a second life in the wondrous dialogue with the lonely and perceptive listeners, hibernating for purposes unknown. This beautiful passage of like the artwork being activated, like, you know, it's sort of dreaming. It's sort of sleeping until the visitor comes to see it in the museum. And then all of a sudden, um, the artwork uh, rouses from its hibernation. It's this beautiful image, right? Or scary image, I don't know, but I think it's pretty. So, any comments on that? Or then if not, I'll move to the our final our final question point or discussion point. No, I think away. this is, I, I think that this, we've, we've actually kind of hoed this row already, right? Like the LP, uh, enables us to create this virtual space, uh, you know, where we can recreate the museum. That's the the comparison here that I think works. Uh, so I let let's let's move let's move through to the end. Well, then, so Michael and I at the beginning in our pre-taping, pre-recording, uh, we were talking. Uh, we we were speculating, and so I'm going to ask Michael uh, this question, and we will entertain it. Uh, entertain it to death until until we get to the end of the episode. No, we're gonna we we um, came to the question. I think Michael, you posed the question of so what would Adorno think of the MP3? 
And is the MP3 the counter, the binary opposite of the long playing record as he is sort of imagining it? So there seems to be a philosophy of, I'll, I'll, I'll let me uh, sort of try to recap and summarize some of the main points here in terms of, uh, of the essay. And then I'll... And, and do that as a way of sort of posing the question for Dr. Rafiji. So I'll try and recap briefly. There's a philosophy, there seems to be a particular philosophical significance to the long playing record that Adorno is articulating in the essay. And the philosophical significance of the long playing record is that now the technology allows better fidelity for really long playing records better uh, fidelity on a long playing album means more music in the grooves, which means more time for the listener uh, to get lost at sea in the music before they have to turn the record over. So, and then you're aware, uh, and then the, you're, you're awakened from your dream, you awaken from your dream, and then you're forced back into reality. So that, that the, philosophical significance of the long playing record for Adorno seems to be its ability to sustain the dream and pro project the dream and enable the dream and sustain it for a long bit of time. And also allow yourself to study the music, not just immerse yourself in the music passively, but to engage the music, to study it, to, to go back and uh, revisit and relive things. So there seems to be a um, the long playing record in this particular essay seems to have a, a specific philosophical affordance. It seems to allow you certain things and it seems to have certain philosophical capabilities. So, Michael, you brought up the, the question of the MP3, which would be obviously shorter duration. Is that the opposite? Is the MP3 the 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 binary opposite of the it's the philosophical meaning of the mp3 is that it is the counter the absolute counter the binary opposite of the lp philosophically conceived see maybe um when i first thought about this i thought man he would adorno would hate this right because the, we think of the mp3 we think of it as you know, three minutes, three minutes, three minutes, right? These little, the MP3 is the thing that destroyed, or the MP, as we understand, is the thing that destroyed the album, right? And the album is the art, and, and that's the problem. I think, actually, that the problem would be elsewhere. I don't think that the problem is necessary in duration, because you can have a five-hour-long MP3 recording. There's no reason you couldn't do it. The problem I think is actually with the technology, right? The beauty huh. of the phonograph record for him is that it enables you to, I'll just use it, right, recreate your museum, okay? But there is still with the phonograph a certain level of attention that requires you to be there right? You have to turn it over at a certain point. There is also a certain physicality to the MP3, or excuse me, to the, to the phonograph, which- A lot of physicality. Which a I lot think is it. significant because it creates yeah. the structure of the museum, 
in a way to extend this metaphor. The problem with the MP3, I think, is that it would frame the music, like the insane level of portability, right? The complete lack of physical substance would, I think, relegate the music to a secondary status again. You'd do dishes, you'd get up and you'd go for a walk, you would do other things. There's, I think, a certain physicality implicit in the phonograph that makes it work and in a weird way enables the technology to be present enough to keep you focused but not so present as to steal the show. I think that digitized archived music is too physically lacking and as a result something else would fill that space and then the music would know the you know the art would no longer be primary. That's my off the cuff thought as you were asking the question I was just thinking wow there's too many things yeah. we do when we listen to music right now right is is as I I, I mm. would vent, I would guess that most people listening to this podcast right now are doing something else. Are jogging. Yeah. I don't know that jogging. we're art but at the same time the form is still one that right. we're, that, right. that that right. that really invites right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So if you're jogging, right. take a break, sit down, listen. It's <laughs> <laughs> hard. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, the, this, this is getting back to multitasking another earlier episode, but okay. I like that. I like that. In fact, I jotted something down while you were talking. I, I started coming up with my own, here's my own formula, sort of inspired by what you said. Um, not sort of directly inspired by what you said that, I think you really hit the key point about the MP3, and I'll get to this in a second. So I think I start. I put it down these these words in a row uh, in terms of the record album, describing the long playing record. Long playing record equals archive equals museum. What's something that's all those things have in common? As you said, a kind of physicality. Mm -hmm. They're, they're spatial metaphors, right? Uh, so the long playing, playing record, the archive, the museum, uh, we're thinking of old, uh, we're not thinking of digital museums. We're certainly not thinking of digital archives. Uh, the long playing record belongs to the archive and the museum in its material form, in its older you know, 19th century, 20th century material forms. Uh, as you were talking, I am convinced that the MP3, what it philosophically signifies, and remember, that's kind of, that was my question, though, and 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 I think that's the way in which you answered it. We were talking about the philosophical significances, or of these of these technologies. I think the philosophical significance of the MP3 is its portability, i.e., its immateriality, its non-materiality. So that, that the essence of the MP3 isn't about duration, as you were saying, or lack no. of duration. It isn't about time, but it is very much about, I think you're, that technology seems to have embedded in the center. It's not an argument about time, but it is definitely an argument about um, material, i.e. It, it doesn't want to have truck with the material. There's something about it that has to be immaterial. 
I think the philosophical, the purely philosophical component of the MP3 is it's trying to divorce, it's trying to divorce a practice from materiality. Really, that seems to be the point of the technology. Mm -hmm. it, it's uh, almost whereas whereas the museum, the archive, and the phonograph record, these are all technologies that keep you embedded in the material world. Yeah, it's 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 almost as if the 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 when it's digitized and it loses its materiality, it functions more as a distraction, right? So like, and that that brings to what you were saying, and that's right. why logically culminates in distraction. Right, right. So, if you're still running, right now, we've tried to distract you from the pain. But <laughs> yeah, we did, we did. I think I'm done. I'm, I can't speak anymore about Theodore Wiesengrund Adorno. I'm done now. Does this so, mean there's no there's no part twelve? We'll see. We'll see. Well, we might talk about the curve of the needle, or maybe not. Maybe we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Well, this was a. I, I think this was a. I hope our listeners like our discussion. I thought this was. Oh, I absolutely enjoyed this. I think yeah, we, this. This. Hit, I, I think, I think that hit, this one. I think we this, hit the high points of the essay, right? Right. No, I think this one and the last one, I think were were good because there was a, I, I think, a nice process of discovery as we walk through. You know, it's not um, the kind of thing where we're making any revolutionary application to this. But I think as we unpacked it, um, you know, we, 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 we got to we got to a nice place with it. I think that Adorno uh, went on a little journey of discovery here with the phonograph and uh I think we followed him well. We went along, and we went along with him. And you came with us, by God, <laughs> Barry. All thank right, you as always. It. That's it. We're done. All right, we're done. Take care. I'll, I'll, I'll Michael, thank you, you for the conversation. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you for the conversation. Talk to you soon. Take All care. Right, bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.